If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Samuel chapter 7. We'll see if we get through two chapters. Um, never know. Last week we covered chapters 5 and 6, and chapters 5 and 6 was kind of a parenthesis. We started off with Samuel and the story and Eli, his sons, and the nation of Israel going to war with the Philistines, the ark being taken captive, and then we saw what happened with the ark when it was taken captive and brought in to the temple of Dagon, and then the Philistines didn't know what to do with it, so they kept shipping it to city to city, and the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them with plagues, and so finally they sent it back to Israel, and that's where we left off last week with the ark, and we can start off in verse 1 of chapter 7, even though we covered chapter part of verse 1 and 2 last week. It says, So the men of kiriath Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained in kiriath Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. And then let's continue reading. It says, Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtaroths and served the Lord only. And Father, we do ask again for your help and understanding for these passages that we look at tonight. And Lord, may you speak directly to us. God, as you are speaking to your people at this time, you are always speaking. May we hear your voice, God. May we discern it and how it is speaking into our lives tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Samuel comes back onto the scene. He's been gone for a while. In fact, they estimate that he might be in his 40s at this point. So think about that. I mean, he was a kid. Last we heard about him, and now he's this older guy. I say older. I don't want to say old because 40s not very old. In fact, it's young. <laughs> but all of a sudden, he's back on the scene, and he's an older man, comes on the scene, and here's the situation that's taking place after all these things that have happened. And Samuel is going to show up, and this is the last of Israel's judges. Previously, even as Michael went through the book of Judges, we saw that there was a lot of military and civil order that was carried out by these judges. Samuel is more of a spiritual and civil order, but he is indeed a judge. As we're going to see, he presides over the people and brings judgment and kind of deals with some of the problems that they have in these things. The land at this point is still being occupied by the Philistines, and they have suffered from the disasters of their previous actions. All the things that they have done, the losing of the ark, the losing of the battles, we no longer are going to see the city Shiloh mentioned, probably because it was taken over and destroyed, and so they've lost territory and there's a change that's taking place. And all of a sudden it says, all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. 
why now? What caused them to turn back? And to answer that, I want to ask us, what causes us to turn back to the Lord? Any thoughts? Oh, you guys have never turned away, so I forgot. <laughs> yes, circumstances. So difficult circumstances, heartbreaking circumstances. Isn't that where Israel's at? Okay, they, they've been kind of conquered in some areas by the Philistines. They find themselves at the end of their rope. You know, it's like when you hit bottom, you got to look up kind of a mentality. And so the Philistines here are in a place where they turn to the Lord. And it's a sad thing, but a lot of times people have to learn things the hard way. It is tragic, especially when you see how hard things can be. And you can see the writing on the wall and you know where they're heading and you warn and you try and prevent, but sometimes people have to go through it themselves. And it seems as if Israel time and time again has to go through it. And they do. They go through it. They come to this place of devastation, of captivity, whether it's Philistines, whether it's the Babylonians, whether it's the Romans, over and over again throughout their history, they find themselves in this place of being enslaved. And now they cry out to the Lord and they turn to the Lord. Now, it's interesting because they turn back to the Lord, but Samuel presses it even further. Which makes us wonder, well, they turned back to the Lord, but is that enough? Is it enough just to turn back to the Lord, or is there another step that needs to be taken? And what Samuel does is he pushes them, and he says in verse 3, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and Ashtaroth and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. In other words, if you really mean it, if you're serious, then take the next step of commitment. Put away what is false and turn to what is true. Deal with the idolatry in your life. James says that if we are to come to God, we are to believe because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I shared this, I think, a few weeks ago about if you have a horse and you turn it to the right, it goes to the right. If you pull it to the left, it goes left. But if you pull it both directions, it just stops. And there's no progress if you're going to serve the Lord, but you're going to hold on to these idols, you're double-minded. You're not going to go anywhere. You've turned to the Lord and you said, oh, yes, that's true. I believe in God. I need the Lord. We need to get back. But you continue trusting in idols and holding on to those things that are false and allowing those things to have space and prominence in your life then your turning to the Lord is 
it's short-lived. It's not going to avail you much. And God is always dealing with our idols. I think more than anything today, especially in our society, money would be the idol. Prosperity, wealth. Security is in these things. And so we turn to the Lord. Oh, I need God. I need God. But you know what? My life is still about the money and what that's what drives me. That's the thing that determines the actions I'm going to take is follow the money. And it's sad, but so many people I know who have been involved in ministry, quote, whenever the Lord leads them somewhere, it always includes more money. It's curious. God was leading me. Oh, yeah, and it was more money. Well, that's convenient. I mean, it's not always, but so many times it's been the case, especially when I was involved with the music aspect. You know, oh, yeah, the Lord's leading me to another church. Why? Because they pay more. Oh. It's rare to find someone say, oh, yeah, the Lord has prompted my heart to go to this church and they're not going to be paying me as much. When that happens, then it's kind of like, wow, okay, that's interesting. And I'm not saying God isn't leading them, but you know what I'm saying. It's very much our tendency to follow the money. That's how God blesses us, is with the money. And so Samuel challenges them. He says, if you're returning to the Lord, then take this next step. Get serious. Your commitment needs to go further. It's not enough to know about God. You need to allow God to be what is prominent in your life. And these other things that you are leaning to, you need to get rid of them. The Baals and the Ashtaroths. And the Ashtaroths, this this kind of fertility pleasure avenue that they were a part of. And he said, just put away those things. And, you know, we can fill in the blanks of the things that God would push us to put away. The things that are hindering us from being fully committed. Maybe it's a sin that we're holding on to, something that we just don't want to let go of. And, and God is always trying to push for that deeper connection to us that's whole, that's complete, that's true. Let's stop playing games. Dealing with someone just over the past month, talking with someone and just some of the things that they're going through and they're calling out for help. And as we're trying to help this person and you start talking to them, well, what are your needs? Well, I need this and I need this money for this and this and this. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to help you. And then you find out that they took that money and they used it on drugs. And you say, you know what? Can you just be truthful. Can you just be honest with me? Can you not try and manipulate the situation to get what you want? Can we be honest here? Because I know you took the money and you used it on this and it wasn't on what 
you said. And I, I wonder how many times God is saying to us, can we just be honest here? You're not letting go of this. I, I would rather you be honest with me and saying, I, you know what, I've got a drug problem. I could appreciate the honesty. We could then move from this place to the next step and get you help. And it's the same thing with us and God. If we would just say, God, I've got a problem with this. I have this addiction. I have this problem. I have this tendency. It's something that I don't want to let go of. God can deal with that. Because that's honestly dealing with him truthfully. And so Samuel pushes them and it says, so the Israelites swore, put away their Baals and Astros and served the Lord only. This is a good day. This is a big change. Now, all these years that we've talked about from Eli and his sons and the perversion of them and the children of Israel going to battle and losing the ark and they're just not seeking God. And, and after all these years, they finally say, you know what? Put away the rest. We're turning back to the living God. And so now everything is going to be hunky-dory. Does anyone use that term anymore, hunky-dory? Okay. Okie dokie. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be good. You know, it's going to be a good thing now. Right? Hmm. Let's see. Verse 5. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mitzpah. Mitzpah was a place where Israel would have gatherings throughout their time, and we'll see that it continues that way. Assemble all Israel at Mitzpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mitzpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mitzvah. Some translation will say Samuel was judging. Same thing. It's the idea he's a judge. He's serving as a leader there at Mitzvah. And so Samuel pushes this again. You guys, you're turning away. Okay, let's get together. Let's have a meeting. I want you all to gather at Mitzpah and we're going to come before God. And I love this picture of pouring water out. Think about that. I mean, it's just here you are in the desert. Water is a precious thing and you take this water. And I just imagine these giant bowls and I imagine them just taking them and just dumping them out. And you're thinking, man, what a mess. What a waste of water. What, what are you doing? It's we are taking what is precious, and this is a symbolic gesture as we are pouring out our prayer, our hearts to the Lord. This is a symbolic of we are wanting cleansing. We are wanting to be purified. We are pouring out our prayers, our souls to you, God. We want absolution. We want forgiveness, and we are just emptying ourselves out. And just as that dry dirt would just swallow up that water, Lord, we want you to just swallow up our prayers. Hear them. May they be just refreshing to you. And so they 
as a people gather together in this symbolic gesture, start praying and confessing, Lord, we have sinned. And they fast, they withhold what they need, food, because they recognize, God, what we need more is you. And so they are here gathered together again. This is good. This is a good time. There is confession. There is worship. There is prayer. The nation is gathered together. So everything's going to go well. Verse 7. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of this, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. When the Philistines heard, they're all gathered together. This was an opportunity. I don't know about you. It's been my experience many times when things seem like they're going well, when I make a decision to do the right thing, to live the right way, that there is opposition. There is attack. That something happens. It's like things get shaken loose. I know this couple that hadn't gone to church for years. All of a sudden decided, you know what, let's go back to church. They start going to church and it's like, this is a great thing. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in their marriage. All kinds of attacks and deception, and it just starts falling apart. It's like, as soon as you make that right step in the right direction to make a change towards God, it's as if there is an attack that comes immediately to stop that change or some obstacle to detour you from continuing, something to get your eyes off of what's going on. Have you guys ever experienced that? I mean, it's, it's uncanny. It's like there really is the spiritual warfare because there really is the spiritual warfare. And it seems fine when you're doing nothing, but the minute you start to try and do the right thing, the enemy just comes up and wants to attack. And that attack tests once again what's really there. Do you really believe? Are you really going to follow? Are you really going to make that choice? And one of the things that I was asking myself as I was reading this, you know, Samuel... They cry to him, and then he takes the initiative, and he goes and he offers this lamb. What made Samuel a prophet? 
Any ideas? How did he get to this position of judge or leader? Okay. He's submitted to God's leading. Yeah, what how did Samuel get to this position of being a judge or a leader? Even all the judges. How did they get to those positions of being judges when we went through the book of Judges? There wasn't a vote that we know, hey, I vote for Samuel. Okay, anyone say, okay, we all vote for Samuel, you're judge. Obedience? Any other thoughts? His mom's prayer? His mom's prayer? Everyone who took a position of leadership, and all those things have a, a, a place in the truth. It took obedience. God's hand was upon him. But there were even judges who weren't really obedient. Okay. You know, Samson wasn't all real obedient, but he was a judge. But these are people of action. People who actually take initiative. People who have the courage to step into that role of a leader. People that are willing to be in that difficult place. I feel so many times we can get to a place where we just want out of the pressure. I don't want to make the decisions. You guys ever go out to eat with like four or five different people? What do you want to eat? Oh, I don't care. You decide. I don't care either. I don't care. Well, someone make a decision. Someone's got to care. Okay, well, let's go eat Mexican. Oh, I don't want to eat Mexican food. (laughs) See, someone's got to step up and and take the initiative and say, okay, I'm going to go. And then if it's good food or bad food, it falls on them. But someone takes the initiative and says, okay, this is what we need to do. Someone has to make that decision. And Samuel takes that role because he initiates these things. He has enough Courage to tell the people, oh great, you're turning to the Lord. Now get rid of the idols. Get serious about this and meet me at Mitzpah. Get all the people. You see, Samuel took that initiative. And I believe God was prompting him. I believe God was moving on him in these areas and it was obedience. But he took the initiative. And as he took that initiative, he also took that role. We need leaders. We need people who will take initiative. I think if there's anything that is deficient in especially the Western church, it's leaders. Everyone wants to be fed. Everyone wants to be encouraged. Everyone wants to live their life and then have the other, you know, Christian life, but no one wants to step into the firing line. No one wants to be on the front lines. No one wants to be in the focus. No one wants to be responsible for the decisions. And so 
there are fewer and fewer leaders, and that's why you have some churches where they'll have multiple gatherings that they just have videos being broadcast. You know, well, let's have a video of the pastor over here in this city and over here in this city and over here in this city. And I'm not saying bad because some of these teachers are excellent teachers, but a lot of times the reason that that's taking place is because there's no one to step in and actually lead. We don't have anyone who's willing to step in and take that role of a leader. But Samuel was, and he knew what to do as he gathered the people. And then they heard the Philistines are coming, and they cried out to Samuel. Well, he gathered them, and they had the offering where they just poured out the offering for forgiveness and restoration. But then Samuel goes further, and he gets the lamb. He offers a burnt offering, and this is now for deliverance. And now when the, the heat is on, when the Philistines are coming down, he doesn't panic. He doesn't run. Everyone run, get out of here. He has the f- vision and the fortitude to stick with, we're going to trust God. Get a lamb, we're going to sacrifice the lamb. God used a lamb and delivered us from Egypt. We are going to offer the lamb again and say, God, remember us. We are trusting in you. You've delivered us before. Deliver us now. And so now when the pressure comes on us and the difficulty starts to weigh on us, Do we go to the Lamb? Do we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you have delivered me. Deliver me now. Or do we try and find a way to fix things? Call someone up so that we can get the money to get into the bank to get this fixed. Or do we go to the Lord? And do we put our stock in him? Do we actually trust in him? And it's amazing when we trust God and we give even what we don't have because we believe that God is asking us to to show compassion or be generous or to extend ourselves, it's amazing to see what God does. And I believe that the way of the miraculous is always paved with sacrifice. That for God to do the miraculous there is going to need to be the sacrifice. And it happens throughout Scripture, and I believe it happens in our lives. When we're willing to make that sacrifice, to count that cost, to take that step of faith that is going to cost us, that's when God shows up and proves himself to be God when we allow him to. And so we see Samuel goes on, verse 10, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, 
So this is happening now. This is another movie moment here. I just picture this. Okay, there's the sacrifice going. There's the fire. The clouds are dark in the background. And you can see a little light. As he's sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth Care. And so thunder comes down. Now, Baal, one of the gods that the Philistines worshipped, has to do with thunder as well. So it's kind of the interesting thing that this thunder plays on them, and it's a god that's part of what they worship. I don't know if you guys have ever been into a horrendous thunderstorm. Have you guys ever been there where you're like right there in the thunderstorm? Man, it can shake you up. I remember when I was younger, I was probably 14 maybe, and my brother I think was 18, and we were living in Hollywood, and we were out in our front porch that had a big overhang, and it was just pouring down rain. And I remember my brother was out there, and he was smoking some cigarettes, and I was just sitting out there, and all of a sudden this lightning flashed and the thunder hit like at the same moment because like right on top of us. And it just, boom, it just shook us. And my brother took his cigarettes and he threw them out in the rain. He goes, I don't smoke anymore. <laughs> I remember thinking, wow, that was wild. I mean, it just shook us. It just like, oh my gosh, that was frightening. And that was just regular thunder. I imagine this is God really saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it up a little bit. And he shook them up, and they saw that, and they went running after them. They were just like, okay, this is our opportunity. And now, so we see the miraculous hand of God shows up after the sacrifice. Instead of running, instead of freaking out, we're going to stay here. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord. And then God shows up. When they press into God, God does the miraculous. What are we going to do when we face the opposition? What are we going to do when we face the difficulty? Are are we going to give in? Are we going to give up or are we going to press on? Because the miraculous is going to be paved by the sacrifice. I remember talking with this man at a 7-Eleven. I would go there and frequent there at night and I got to know this one guy who was there and I started sharing my faith in Christ with him and talking with him and he was, I don't know, he's probably in his 40s as well. And I remember sharing with him the need that he had for Jesus and it seemed like he was right there. It seemed like he he agreed with everything that I was saying and at one point I said, why wouldn't you make a decision if you believe in all these things that I'm telling you, why, why won't you make a decision to actually give your life to follow after Jesus? And I remember he told me, well, because I have to cheat and be dishonest on my taxes in order to survive. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to say I'm going to follow Jesus and then not be honest with my taxes. I just know that isn't right. And I remember at the time being 
kind of like, wow, the guy's really honest. You know, I know Christians that aren't honest with their taxes, but you're, you know, you're really thinking about this. But you see, this is one of those times where what if you would actually trust the living God who you say you believe in to actually take care of you even if you have to be honest with your taxes? What if that's where God wants to show up? If you would make that sacrifice, do you think maybe God would show up? And I remember leaving away just kind of dumbfounded, not knowing, gosh, what do I do? And at some point, there's nothing we can do. It's up to him to make that decision. It was up to the people of Israel to make that decision. But when they did make the decision, God showed up. And I believe God is wanting to show up in our lives. Now, he might not pay the taxes. You might end up having to move out of this house and into an apartment, or you might have to make some other changes. It doesn't always go as easy as we'd like it to go. There's not that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Every time you pray and trust God, everything good happens. Sometimes it led Paul to prison. It led to persecution. But it also led to the miraculous. It led to the adventure of encountering the living God. And him doing the miraculous and him involving himself with their life. And what an amazing thing as they turn to God and say, we're going to trust God. And Samuel presses them and say, okay, then get rid of the idols. And they say, okay. And he goes, let's get together. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to call out the Lord. They do that. Oh no, the Philistines are coming. Now what do we do? We're going to press in further. We're going to now make a sacrifice offering to the God and we're going to cry out to him. And then God shows up. The further they press in, the deeper God shows up in their lives. And it's the same thing with us. The deeper we invest our hearts and our minds and our lives with God, the deeper he shows up, the more we see his hand at work. Nothing ever happens in my life. Well, maybe because you're doing nothing. Maybe the reason God's not doing anything is because you won't do anything. And God's saying, I can't do something if you won't do anything. And as they trust, God shows up. They route the Philistines so far back to these places. And in verse 12, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mezpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer. Now, that means the stone of help. It wasn't, I'll call you Ebenezer. It means the stone of help. That's what Ebenezer means. It's just a funny sounding name to me. Saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So, verse 13, the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. 
the towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hand of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Interesting. They turn to the Lord, they trust in the Lord, and now they start finding deliverance. Verse 15, Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on circuit. I think that's funny. He's a circuit preacher here. From Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. And so Samuel continues judging being a judge for Israel for all these years, going from city to city to city. It's interesting that he went back to Ramah where his original home was. Because remember, that's where he came from when his mom brought him in to Eli's house. But he somehow got back to to Ramah and went there and continued judging and being that part of the Lord. And so what amazed me with this chapter was this little bit that we get from this man, Samuel, and how he involves himself in the people's lives, how he takes that step and puts himself in this role as a leader. Because we don't see anyone voting him in. We, We see of him as a boy. Something happened in those 30 years. Something took place. And Samuel definitely had this understanding of the truths of God, the law of God. It was something that was important to him. And he decided to make that important to those around him. If Jesus is important to us, how can we make it important to the people around us? More importantly, is it, is he important to us? Because before we can make him important to those around us, he first has to be important to us. And then maybe like Samuel, you'll find people here and there who turn to the Lord. But they're still worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth. I think of Cornelius in chapter 10 of Acts, who was a God-fearing man. He was turned towards the Lord. He knew that God was there, but a vision came and says, you need to get Peter because he's going to help you out. At the same time, Peter's having his Joppa rooftop experience, and God tells Peter, you need to go see this guy through the vision. And he goes there. And then finally Peter gets there and says, yeah, I had this dream. You had this dream. seems like God's trying to get things together. And all of a sudden Cornelius starts speaking in a tongue. And they say, wow, the Spirit's on this guy too. You see, maybe when we are hearing God's voice and we are living and having that connection with God, we will find the people who are turning towards God and God will connect our paths so that we can start conversations and be bringing people to that deeper understanding of Lord. 
Maybe we'll be like Philip who is sitting there and all of a sudden the Ethiopian eunuch just happens by on the chariot and Philip runs up there and goes, hey, what are you reading? I'm reading this passage in Isaiah that's talking about this guy who's going to suffer for the people. What do you mean? What do you, who is this guy? And he goes and he tells him, well, it's about Jesus. Perhaps if we are connected to this living God, this Jesus, we will be connecting with those who are turning towards the Lord. And you'll be in a conversation and they'll show an interest in the things of God. And it might be distant like Philip. I don't really know what this means, but I'm curious. Or it might be a little bit more informed like Cornelius. But when you are connected to God, you are going to be in the opportune place for God to take you. Just like he used Samuel who was connected to God to use and steer this whole nation deeper into a commitment with God. But it first begins with us. I'm not going to go through chapter 8. That'll be enough. Next chapter, we change from theocracy to monarchy. And it's kind of interesting when you think, oh, theocracy is good. Well, has it been real good so far? It's kind of had its ups and downs, still based on the people that are there. But uh, we'll cover that. Michael, that's yours. All right. And so uh, any questions on this chapter or things that came up, maybe that you have a question about or thoughts on? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think our view of leadership has, has, at least mine, has been tainted where leadership becomes a position instead of it becoming an action, you know, where, oh, I'm a leader. And so, you know, it's like a corporation. I'm a CEO. Yes, I'm a leader. And now that's my position where it's really more of an action. You know, when you think of a military leader, it's someone who's actually forging ahead, you know, at their time. This is the person who's doing the work, laying the foundation and, and moving forward. It's not taking a position, it's taking an action. And and that's exactly kind of what we see is people who are taking that action end up having that voice. And God is always working through the human element. When God is going to bring a work into the world, he's doing it through the human element, even through his son, Jesus. You know, I've shared before, you know, God spared the world from the flood, but Noah also saved the world. You know, this man who said, okay, I'll build this ark. And so the world was saved by a man. Yeah, God prompted him, but someone had to take that action and start doing those things. And he wasn't a position. Noah had no position. But he was leading humanity to salvation through the flood by his actions and the things that he did. And I think that's important for us to realize so that we dethrone the titles and recognize the need for action because that's where the leaders are, the people who are acting and doing, not the people who have the titles.
Dr. Pastor so-and-so, you know. It's the person who's doing the work. And I think that's important. Cool. Any other thoughts, questions? Going once. Let's pray. Father, stir our hearts as you prompt us not only to turn towards you, but to be committed to you. Lord, help us to see what things we need to put away. And and God, let us not take the easy way out. So many times we think of the things that we need to get rid of as people who cause us problems or you know, are the difficult people or might tempt us. Maybe what we really need to do is recognize our weakness in these situations and go to you, the living God, to make us strong. And instead of getting rid of the people, maybe we need to press to those people to see if they're turning towards you and to press them to have a commitment to you as well. Maybe instead of abandoning some people, we need to bring them to you. Maybe what we need is less running away and more commitment to. But Lord, may that commitment be genuine. May it be honest. And we thank you for pressing us to those places where you do test us by fire. You do push us to that place of commitment. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to do so. And and I pray, Lord, that you would move us to action, that we would, without even knowing it, become leaders just because we are following you and your voice, and our obedient. And by doing that, we end up in positions that lead others to the truth, to a life that is whole and complete. Thank you again, God, for your faithfulness to work in all these situations and to reveal to us the needs that are in our own heart. Lord, we pour ourselves out to you, and we trust in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.